0: Hello, everybody, welcome
1: again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We hope you win as a game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Make sure to check us out on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and subscribe to us to your favorite syndication network. We have a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. We've been on the air for over five and a half years. We're one of the longest-running, continuous, entrepreneurial podcasts you'll find, and we have a lot of fun along the way. Today, we are going to dive into a topic that is very, very interesting to me. Uh, by the way, my name is Adam Homey, I'm your host. I'm so excited about this. I was about to introduce myself. Um, so we're going to discuss the importance of of why you must stop wasting money on ineffective training programs I think we've seen in the workplace for those of us who work for companies where we've been obligated to attend trainings that really did nothing more than take up an hour or two hours of our time and set our schedule back they've had limited relevance to what we need to accomplish in our jobs in our careers and our departments and I think we've also seen The other side of that, which is somebody reads a book on an airplane, then they decide, well, we've got to have two of those. So now we're going to invest on these training programs that are either ineffective or irrelevant to the situation at hand. And over the course of the next several minutes here, we have up to an hour, we are going to go through and disambiguate this for you so you can find a way to engage training programs that will be effective for your organization. And to reveal this for us, we have with us today Juliana Stan Campiano, who is the author of Radical Outcomes. Juliana is an entrepreneur and the CEO of Oxygen. For more than 15 years, she's worked with Fortune 500 companies, both in them and for them. Her first clients include Microsoft, DXC, Delta Dental of Washington, Starbucks, f 5 Networks, AVEA, and Western Digital, the manufacturer of my external hard drive, among others. Her in-depth experience, along with the research that oxygen conducts in the article she has published, has helped to shape the perspective that oxygen embraces. I like oxygen myself. I mean, I, I mean, it's like <laughs> the air that we breathe. Uh, now, Juliana, we uh, read off your very official sounding bio. In fact, just having read that out loud, I'm not even sure I'm eligible to be on the show with you. i mean, that's, that's how powerful you present yourself here. But before we dive into this, I imagine that there are some listeners right now who have both in the separate browser tab. They're looking you up. They're looking up this company called Oxygen that is going to have this information for them, and they're trying to learn more. So what I'd like to do, like we do with every other guest, is take a step back and let's ask you just a little bit about your personal journey and what brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion.
0: That sounds great. I'm excited to be here. And um, it sounds like we're going to have quite the journey of conversation from there. Uh, you know, and it is Business Creators Podcast, and I created a business and have learned a lot along the way just about that, let alone, you know, the topic that we're covering today around um Ineffective learning, or what could be effective, and kind of the the traps we all find ourselves stuck in at some given time, and how do we get out of those traps? Right. So the the um the what's not on my maybe LinkedIn profile, or my <laughs> my website, or some of the um the narrative that you gave is that um I spent uh, about four years uh, living in Europe. And it was one of those, um, I'm very young. Sure. Why, why not go live in Europe? Um, and, you know, sold all my stuff and, and decided to move, um, and quit my job on top of it in order to do so and took right. off and right. It, Cause that seemed really smart at the time. And now I understand how my parents probably felt looking back at that, um, post having graduated from college, but I got there and I, I got really lucky. And, um, got a job with Microsoft. Um, and I say lucky only because you had to speak fluent English to do the role. <laughs> so right. I, that was definitely, you know, something I, I hadn't taken into consideration for my worldview before I left. And I was um, living in Germany when I moved. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity when I was there to go through some experiences. And Oxygen was originally a UK-based company. And I went through something that Oxygen created, and I had a moment where I thought, oh my gosh, if my college experience had been more like this, more hands-on, more experiential, more engaging, uh, I could have learned so much more. And that's not to negate my college experience, because it was amazing. (laughs) I love my alma mater, but it was very different. And some of the classes that I took was somebody lecturing at me. was very difficult for me to understand you know let alone kind of try to regurgitate or score well on a test and it got me thinking about and I I immediately was like oh my gosh we need this in the U.S. or at that time I said in America because everybody refers to the U.S. as America (laughs) in Europe which was kind of a funnyism and I worked for about four years in Europe and i got the opportunity to work across um europe middle east and africa and i saw people from all different cultures and all different backgrounds come together and i realized that at the end of the day um you know people are people and the way in which we consume and engage with information is not extremely different uh to when it be, when it's effective and i thought that was fascinating you know, there there wasn't necessarily, there are cultural nuances to everything, but not from an, a learning standpoint. And I worked with a number of teams to create learning and engagement and um, and try to really make change or, you know, influence careers, et cetera, over those years. And I was really fortunate to do that. And then open um, got the opportunity to open Oxygen in Seattle in 2008. Um, and then bought the company in 2009. So there's a whole, you know, a whole nother story that goes along with that. But um, and, and then kept running and have always had kind of roots in not necessarily, you know, a lot of people say in the experiential learning, but it's more about um, I have a passion around making something easy for somebody to start into and get their arms wrapped around it and then, and then you know, play with it and kind of figure it out. And eventually right. become good at it. And I think, you know, that's really the roots of why why I, I bought the company in a recession and opened yeah. it and kept it going. And, and for many other reasons, and it continues to be what drives, you know, the company today. Um, a lot of people that have a lot of passion around, um, honestly, just not having to subject people to what we've become accustomed to in corporate learning, which can be a lot of really, really bad patronizing type of content mixed in there with the good stuff. So how do we get more good and yeah. less of the bad?
1: Well, yeah, cer- certainly. I, we're going to cover in some detail what some of the problems are, but, you know, it makes me think about the way we are taught. You mentioned that you discovered when you got into the real world Uh, as they like to call it, the real world, I put it in everything, although I think everything's real, Uh that some of which you picked up in college may not exactly be applicable. And I think that no matter what you experience, whether it's undergraduate, whether it's graduate education, whether it's the continuing education program, whether it's the corporate training, there is a a baby inside that bathwater, and you have to decide how much of this you're going to throw out and how much of it you're gonna keep because it's valuable and can grow and mature into something that's really awesome. I can say that my college experience in some ways was similar. I think some of it was based on rote learning more than anything else, and I really don't feel bad at all about all those times that I should have studied for a final and went drinking instead because nobody ever questioned me about it. Even that day, they thought it was funny and in, in my MBA school, which I thought was a great program, it still plays on my mind that it seemed like the companies that they cite as best practices also happen to be their corporate sponsors and the ones that drove tuition reimbursements toward them. So uh, you have to look and see that there's sometimes an agenda for everything. You have to decide what works well for you. As I mentioned earlier, with trainings and companies, which I think is part of what we're going to discuss here today, sometimes they're done for reasons that don't make the most sense. They're done because somebody in the c suite took a flight somewhere and they read a book and they said, you know what, I heard our competition has one of these, so we're getting two of them. Uh Or it could be a permanent solution to a temporary inconvenience, which is what most rules and regulations and companies actually are. They are. Permanent, long-range overreactions to some minor little thing that happened one day when you really go back and look at what happened. i That's just my view. Yeah. Some may agree, some may disagree, but I've seen way too many cases of sweeping companies, sweeping policies being implemented in companies all because somebody was having a bad day. It's, yeah, I don't know. So yeah. let's get it. Go ahead.
0: Well, so it, it, that's really interesting, right? And, and I would agree probably to a, to a point. And then also, you know, I, I would say also as a business owner, i probably over-rotate to some of those things as well. Sure. Um, yeah. And what I think that is a lot of times missing and is really important is just a little bit of context setting. Hey, right. we've run into multiple sexual harassment suits. We don't want this to be a thing here anymore. Ergo, we got to go through some of this stuff because it's, you know, what we've been doing isn't working or whatever the case may be, you know. And then um, or, you know, compliance from a business rules standpoint, right? And we talk a lot about that's fine. You have to go through it because, hey, we don't want to get sued, right? And uh, I don't think we want our companies to be sued either. But let's make the thing lightweight. Let's make it easy to get through. You know, let's not try to dress something up and make it funny when it's really not funny, you know, or you know, not supposed to be entertaining. It's more of a, hey, I need you to read this, and I need you to answer the questions and then keep moving into your job, and I'm going to try to make this as short and sweet as possible that's going to be effective. Right. And I think, you know, it's, it's more the approach, uh, in my mind, a lot of times it's taken to some of these things, um, and let's think about how people may or may not need it, and let's treat adults like adults, and let's give it to them in a format um, that makes the most sense for the information we're trying to get across and the impact that we want it to have. Um, and and those are a lot of the questions that I don't see being answered before somebody just goes and creates something. And if we don't know why we're creating it, what it's meant for, who it's meant for, and we kind of haven't been through that litany of questions, we tend to create something that is wildly off the mark and is not helpful. And that's where you start really wasting, you know, a lot of the money, et cetera. And then, you know, to your point, there's always that leader that comes up with this great idea. And it's so, again, it's one of those, like, let's all take a breath. And that's awesome. You read a book that really resonated with you. Tell me more about that. What was it that uh resonated? Do we have something that does some of this today? Is this something that, so what's the impact going to be? Should we implement this here? What do we think we're going to get out of it? You know, why do you think it is that we need it? And just asking some of those upfront questions, can either get somebody to go, oh, yeah, you're right. So that was really good for me, and I should probably talk about it with my coach, because hopefully somebody at that level has a coach, um, and, and instill more of that in my own practices, because I find that lacking. Or it's like, hey, this is something that actually might be good for um, a wider audience. But let's get specific. What audience do we actually think needs this? You know, who who is it? that's going to be impacted by this and who um, will it not make necessarily a difference in their day-to-day so that we're not wasting their time with, you know, something that is kind of a shiny object from your last flight that you had. Right. I'm a little bit bit guilty of this today. I have a book in front of me that I'm reading. I sent a link out to my, my (laughs) and I'm thinking, I wonder if I just did that. But I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so a <laughs> lot of what we talk about. You know, so I'm going through this, like, chain in my head right now as you ask that question. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, I do training as well, and I know that learning and development is a $140 billion industry, and you're yep. saying that a lot of that money is wasted. and I think that's a shame. I want some.
0: Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> uh, you
0: and I both. I think, you know, um, some of that's based off of there's a study that LinkedIn did a couple of years ago and it's not just you know and you probably see this as well we go into companies and they're like hey would you review this stuff for us and you go through it and you're like oh my gosh it's so boring i remember somebody sending me links to like a bunch of their sales training and then literally telling me that i should like wait until um after work and go home with a bottle of wine to go through it because it's that bad <laughs> oh, <water. laughs> yeah. And it's like, if they're telling me to do that while I audit their materials, like, what do they think is going through the minds of their people when they go through it?
1: Uh, you know, and then, and then you look at the. Uh, right. Hey, hey, right. Hey, uh,
0: <laughs> but, uh, the LinkedIn did some research, and it was, there was some uh, percentage, and it was somewhere around 20 some odd percent of learning professionals actually would like, would want to consume the stuff that they make. And that to me poses a really big problem. I would say. Yeah. Yes. So $140 billion, 20 some odd percent of learning professionals would actually want to consume the stuff that they're creating. So there's about 80% of stuff that we think is just utter garbage.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I've sat through some trainings, and I think one of the mistakes that I see is a tendency to overload, like, let's make sure we over-deliver. Well, the thing is, is over-delivery is sometimes fine in certain contexts, but it can also create an incredible state of overwhelm that will lead people to just sort of tune it out. It's like if you're doing a sign reading if we want to talk about college again. You Remember, yeah. Remember you had the assigned sign reading for college, and you knew you had to have mm-hmm. your sign reading done? There could be a pop quiz the next day. And you knew that the sign reading was on Chapter 12. So you opened up Chapter 12, and you first checked to see, uh, does this have any subheadlines? Does it have any white space? Right. Does it have any pictures? Does it have any bullet points? And as soon as you saw that it was all nine-point Times New Roman font, your eyes already got tired. You began to feel physically weary. So you'd get into it, and you'd read about six pages, and you'd say, uh, what did I read? I don't, like, remember any of it. that sound familiar?
0: Yep. Yes. Well, that's going to be
1: the reaction folks have when they are just listening to a lecture that goes on and, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. It's the same thing. It's like the teacher on the peanut commercials.
0: Yes. And what I find really fascinating about this, and um, we talk about it a lot with our clients, is taking that type of material and breaking it down into something that's actually consumable and to get to a space of what I would say first is maybe just understanding of some concept or something. And then, you know, the ability to have a discussion about it, the ability to actually think about trying to implement it, the ability to then go and try to apply it um, in a rudimentary fashion and then in a, you know, and then practice that to get better at it, get, you know, to make all of those steps taking. That information, we do this a lot for clients, and breaking it down is really difficult to do. It is, you know, it's it's the whole, like, if I had the time, I would have written you a shorter letter. Um, Writing a lot or, you know, and documenting a lot is so much easier than trying to really think critically about what's important, what really needs to be in and what doesn't need to be in at this phase. Um, or expectation of where somebody's at when they're learning this material. That takes time, critical thinking, and honestly, I don't think that we're given a lot of time to do that today. (laughs) We're expected to turn things around fast, right? Oh, yeah, oh,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a bit of a catch-22, and um, we talk to a lot of clients about what's reasonable versus what's not. And expectation setting, and all of these other things, versus you know, the last thing that we talk about is what's the content that you need somebody to actually learn because that's the easy part today. There's so much content,
1: yeah. And you know, uh, just you know, we have a lot more to cover here, but I want to make one more little point. Sometimes you look at the design of corporate training programs, and they Want to make sure that they use up every single second of it. Now there are a lot of theories and formulas out there for how to manage the energy of your participants. One of my personal mm-hmm. favorites is the, 90, is the 90-28 rule, which was developed by that legendary trainer Bob Pike. And basically, it says yep. you can teach for 90 minutes without a break. However, you got to chunk that content into 20-minute sections, and there has to be some sort of interaction every eight minutes. 90, yes. 20. Eight. So when I go to a training or I go to a conference or a seminar, and especially when you're coming back from lunch, no matter how well you try and make sure you eat something that's not going to put you in a food coma, or you make sure you eat (laughs) something so you don't like a sugar crater or something like that, after lunch you cannot sit there for three hours and be expected to comprehend much of anything. Uh, as a speaker on stages, they frequently bring me in as the after lunch guy because I'll do a presentation as full pattern interrupts and call response. It'll get people awake, and I'm really good at linking my message to whatever the conference is about. So I'm told. Uh, but my question is like, okay, so I'm on the after, so I'm on the I'm the after lunch guy. That's great. Thank you very much. This is where I thrive. I'm excited to do it. So after we're done with me, we've taken a break. Will be my first question. Because yeah. after sixty minutes after sixty minutes of me, no matter how much fun I am, you have to look <laughs> at the biological processes that are going on with these people that are currently actively digesting food, and yep. the fact that they've now sat through sixty minutes of me as fun and engaging and interesting as I am, uh, the fact is uh, I you know I'll chunk my content in the twenty minute sections or less. I've got lots of interaction. I'm under ninety minutes, but please tell me we're taking
0: a break afterwards because they really are going to need it. Yep. Yeah, 100%. So our brains just aren't wired to take in more and more and more content and information. And one of my favorite things with clients as well is when they want to do some day-long thing, it's like, okay, well, can we have the afternoon of one day and then the next morning? Because amazing stuff happens when we sleep, right? And we know this. Yeah. So, you know, it's better from your investment standpoint if you let people sleep on it and come back the next morning because they're going to have different points of view, insights about it. They're going to be able to speak about it in an intelligent way versus if you try to cram it all in in one day, they're going to leave exhausted and they're going to wake up more exhausted and they're going to go right back to something else instead of right back to visiting what it was that you were working on the day before. Right. So...
1: Yeah. And right. So very, very yeah. similar. Yeah. And when I when I was when I was told, uh, you know, by by one event organizer, said, "Oh no, not only are we not taking a break, but we need you to hang out in the room to be available to folks." They said, "Well, you got to tell me when the break is because I need a break after sixty minutes. <laughs> um, right. So you tell me when The break is, and I will make sure I am right here in the room to shake hands, take pictures, answer questions, whatever you want me to do, but." Really, you sure you want to give these people a break?
0: You sure. Yeah. Because you're probably yeah. you're probably gonna
1: you're probably gonna hope they have a better chance of holding their attention all the way to the end of the day if you respect their need for five minutes to clear their brain.
0: Yeah. It's it, so this is kind of the confounding thing to me about um we go from being kids and learning very much in the same fashion to slowly being more sedentary and more stuck in our seats and being just driven content and knowledge Um, Uh and then expected to like memorize it and somehow learn something that can be applied Um, the older and older we get and it's like by the time we've graduated from college we've decided that adults can just retain everything that we shove at them (laughs) and like all the, the stuff that we do for kids along the way and the learning just goes out the window Um, And I'm not saying that we're exactly like kids, but our brains function in this sort of way exactly to your point where we need a break. We need to not think about it. How many times, you know, have we read articles about go out for a walk, you know, go do these things. And how many times have we come back and been like, oh, my gosh, my best thinking happened just now when I took that break. But for whatever reason, socially, we have this expectation that you're better if you can – retain this information in this way, and basically nobody can, but we're not talking about it. <laughs> there yeah. are probably a few people that can. They're the minority, and, and they probably aren't in, in a lot of the trainings. Who knows?
1: Yeah. As, a, as a, the owner of my company, as an entrepreneur, the secret to me being able to occasionally put in a very long day is physically changing locations five or six times. Yeah. That's it. Changing my location five or six times. Because it puts me in different environments which stimulate different parts of yes. my brain. And it also gives me breaks that to take all my work that I'm doing and break it into chunks so that I have time to process what's going on. So that's and that applies to how you do your work as well. Now we're almost halfway through here. And I think uh, you know, you and I have so many things we gotta say about this topic. And I wanna <laughs> cover some of the growing compassion you brought to us, so we're gonna need to speed this up a little bit if that's okay. And I sure. you have a story you told me. You have a story you told me, and you mentioned this also in your book Radical Outcomes. Uh, you, you spoke about a company you worked with where newly yep. hired salespeople routinely received fifty emails announcing the mandatory training they were expected to complete. What was the result? And do we find this typical?
0: <laughs> well, you know the. That- so this kind of ties into the waste of money, right? So the result is probably what we would expect: is that they look through, they look through all of them, couldn't figure out which one was going to yield them the best, you know, fastest ramp. And so typically they didn't do any of them, and they would go online and search for the answers that they were looking for uh, instead of doing any of it. So fifty emails, fifty trainings behind it lots and lots of money spent you know lots and lots of content curated but um you know this is in part where we also get into um how do you keep content up to date how do you keep it fresh because things are constantly changing in our world and a lot of it you know was not uh fresh and wasn't necessarily up to date and so people would start it and stop right um and i think from a a view of sales specifically that if the content's not relevant to me doing something on my job, I don't have time for your theory because I have to be in front of customers (laughs) or on the phone with customers or with customers doing something. And if you can help me with that, then I'm all in. But if you can't help me with that, then I'm going to go, you know, one of our recent customers, um, we were asking her, where do you get your knowledge? Like, where do you go? And she was like, the bar. (laughs) And it was like, going to go just try to find it, right? Like, to your point about where we spend our time and, uh, you know, and and in part, that's like it's a peer-based learning, right? So I'm going to go out where I think that my peers are colleagues, and I'm going to try to find that information.
1: Right, right, right.
0: So with all that in mind, uh, do you think
1: that there's a greater need for training in today's workplace than in prior times or a lesser need?
0: Well, I think that we constantly have to learn, um, and I think that curiosity is a big part of today, um, and what I would love to see is our leaders going, hey, time out on this bad learning stuff that we're creating. Let's, like, let's get serious about this, and let's figure out how to fix it, because today it's broken. And there's a lot of great research by Josh Burson that's out there that I would say um, makes a lot of sense, but nobody, from what we have seen, a lot of leaders are like, yeah, I agree, but how do I fix it? And that's a big, uh, big question. And in really large companies, which is primarily where we do a lot of work, it's a really systemic thing that you're dealing with, right? Because there's so much that's already in place and already working. Um, and the, the biggest success that we've had so far with it is integrating learning like a service to your business because essentially when right. you're doing it in the corporate space, you're doing it to enable people to do the role um, or to develop in the role that you've hired them into and in order to reach some sort of success for the business. And when you start thinking about it from that perspective of what's the role that I'm enabling specifically what does that role have to do to be successful? And, and then it's a, okay, how can I help them be successful? We found that to be a lot more successful. So <laughs> that a lot. Um, you know, it's more of a consulting model internal at the organization versus a order taking, which is what we see a lot of learning uh, departments are, functions are, where the business comes to them. Exactly kind of to your point earlier, I need X can you, you know, can you create me this thing? We, I have this problem. Um, they're not engaged. You know, the learning, what I've seen is that the learning function is not engaged to really understand the business and have empathy for them. And in turn, then the business treats them like a drive through, um, service. And they're like, just give me my thing so that I can then, you know, change it and customize it for my audience. And so we also see a lot of shadow rework happening, um, and so in my mind, if if the learning people got a little bit more curious about how the business works and what the expectations are of each of the roles, and the business gave more context, maybe to the learning people. This is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And there is more two way dialogue, it'd probably be more helpful than what's being created today. But it the the in my mind, the learning functions in most organizations are broken and need need or they're in great need of repair.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would, I would say so. So going through repairing it, another thing you mentioned inside your Radical Outcomes book is that focusing on outcomes this is a about fixing. Focusing on outcomes yeah. is a key to developing learning programs that yield measurable results. And then you also explain the difference between outputs and outcomes. If you could disambiguate all this for us, that would be great.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is one of my favorite things um, because I think that, probably a lot of us feel really successful when we create an output, you know, an output is potentially a training or it's a PDF or it's a PowerPoint document or it's something that you put out there. Um, And in my mind, that's just potentially one thing that's going to get you towards an outcome. And so, you know, and I think we talked a little bit about this earlier and you covered some of it, but I feel like a lot of training content is done today because it was requested. And so then the training person's like, hey, I did that thing, and it's more of a CYA than it is an enabler. It's like it's Uh not my fault that I – told those people how to communicate. It is no longer my fault that they did not communicate in the way in which you wanted them to. I told them how to do it, (laughs) right, versus a, hey, what's the problem that we're actually trying to solve? And let's dig into that, and let's see if we can't solve it versus potentially, and you talked a little bit about this earlier, throwing this Band-Aid you know, Uh out there that we're going to hope sticks against the wall. (laughs) And it may or may not, but we can at least check the box and say we did it. And that's kind of more the mentality that it becomes. And so, you know, driving to an outcome, and this became the title of the book because this is something that we're so drilled into here at Oxygen is what, what are we trying to drive? And when you focus in on the outcome, you don't create as much stuff. You get really, really clear about what it is that you're trying to do. You're able to ask good questions and engage people in a really meaningful way. You know, explain this thing to me, explain this concept. How does this work? How does that work? You you really uncover how somebody goes about doing something that the business wants them to be doing. Um, You also adjust your outputs and the tasks to meet the outcome. So if you're going along and we've done this, a million times and you look up and you're like, wait a second, why are we doing that again? <laughs> like, tell me how it's going to help us, you know, achieve that thing that we said we wanted to do. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're right, that yeah. isn't actually helping. So then we stop production halfway through instead of, you know, creating the whole thing, putting it out there and it being useless. Um, or you can make adjustments, right? It's like, hey, let's we can use that script, but we're going to use it in a different way or whatever the thing, you yeah. know, might be that you're working on. Sure. Um, and and I, I think it helps cut down the noise for people. So, you know, the other thing with learning, and we've seen this, man, so many times at clients, it's like, well, we have all this stuff, this, you know, 3,000 amazing things, and we're expecting people to wade through that, and that's just overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, creating things that are attached to an outcome mean that you're going to create probably less and it's going to be more meaningful. Um, And I think the other thing that we find I believe is extremely important is creating for a role versus everybody. Um, This is the other thing that we see on a constant basis. We'll go in and they'll be like, well, we created this thing, and it's not working. And it's like, well, what, you know, who's this thing for? The sellers. Yeah, okay, great. Which sellers? Well, all of them. Oh, well, you have 4,000 sellers. Do they all need to know this? Of course they do. It's <laughs> like, you know, but an inside uh-huh. salesperson versus an account executive versus a technical specialist versus, you know, an enterprise um, seller versus a small, medium sized business seller. Like, I can guarantee you they don't need all the same stuff. And that when we create for every role in, a, in such a generic way, it becomes useless for everybody. And it right, doesn't right. then it, end up driving the outcomes that you're looking for. So it's kind of yeah. a fascinating, complex thing to drive towards an outcome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things that made me unemployable is I, I can't remember the exact details, but it was pinging in my mind. <laughs> somebody, somebody who I guess thought that they didn't even have to treat me as a human being because I guess they were one level up on the York chart who I didn't even know their name comes and starts telling me all this stuff I did wrong. I said who are you, said, you know, and we told you by the way, you, we gave you this training I said you did. So right either either somebody checked me off as being present for something I was absent for or uh, maybe I was there but it was so not engaging I can't even remember I was there. so uh, and in the, and I remember another case uh, this was actually, When uh, this might have been during a part-time job I had when I was in college, and somebody uh, I needed somebody to show me how to do something that I was just learning, and the guy said I showed you once. I said, well, now I need you to show me again.
0: Right, right. Well, like to me, that sounds a little bit like the onboarding fire hose as well, right? Like. We, everybody's like, we are going to onboard people in a week, and then they just fire hose them with information, and nobody remembers yes. their first week anyway, <laughs> let alone the onboarding that they went through. And so it's that's like a classic case of it's like, well, what does it mean to actually be onboarded? And when you ask that question, right, so what's the outcome of onboarding? What do you expect somebody to do when they're done being onboarded? Uh, it's fascinating the amount of different Responses that you get to that question, um, and driving just that kind of clarity can make such a massive difference. We've got we we were in one client, and I asked the question, and it went all the way from, "You have your computer," to "You can close your first deal." Okay, <laughs> you know. So how do you create onboarding if it's not clear what the person's able to do when they are onboarded? Right? And, and if we can drive clarity on that and what that outcome is, then it's so much easier to, A, work backwards from, right? Okay, well, what does somebody have to know and do to be able to get to that point? Um, B, look at a timeline. You know, closing a first deal might be three to four months of an onboarding versus getting your computer might be week one. Right. Right? And, and we don't see a lot of thought about that, about how much time it takes for somebody to get to the point where a manager would say they're onboarded or leadership would think right. that they were onboarded, right? Or they would think they were onboarded, to that matter. <laughs> and, uh, uh-huh. and and so driving that discussion I find super helpful, um, especially in a time at, where it seems like everybody's constantly redoing onboarding. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Well, I don't yeah, I mean, this reminds me of a story that a colleague told me about. Um, he had been promoted and transferred into another department the company where he worked for, and um, mm-hmm. they wouldn't let him do his job because they said he hadn't received the training to do so. Uh, so this was his immediate supervisor saying that he hadn't received the training to do it, so he couldn't do it. And then next thing you know, he has his boss's boss saying, why aren't you doing this? What, 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 are, we, what are we paying you for? Why are you here? And... So he told the boss's boss, well, my boss said this, uh, this, and then, of course, the boss tried to deny they said that. Like, uh, no, no, no. Oh, and by the way, I actually do know the job. And then proceeded to explain it to both of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that's right. It's an interesting conundrum as well of, like, how do you also say, hey, these people have been around and they don't need these different parts of onboarding, but they need like these couple specific things that they haven't been through yet here at this organization. Right. And let people skip the other parts. <laughs> and I, I've run into oh. so many people that get really um, upset with me about it because they're like, oh, but they're so bad at these other parts. And it's like, well, okay, let's let their managers, you know, decide what it is that they need or, or don't need. But putting an adult back through something that they feel like is rudimentary to where they're at and the experience that they have is not an amazing way to, you know, garner um, or foster any sort of relationship or trust. Right. And it's like, okay, I can trust yeah. you. Like you, we're talking about that here. That's fine. Um, should it come up that, or I see that you actually can't do that then we'll revisit it, but let's not, uh-huh. you know, put a senior salesperson back through, um, you know, solution sales one oh one. Of oh, oh, course. Helpful.
1: You know what that immediately make, make, makes me think of is uh, when I need to call my internet service provider because my internet is down. Now, before mm-hmm. I contact them, I know how Have you to... Have rebooted? Push. I know how to flush and reboot a router. I know how to turn my computer on and off again. I even know in what order to do it. I know how to type the flush DNS command. I can do all kinds of things. I also even know how To research resources on the internet that track in real time outages from all the providers and get information as to whether or not there's an outage in my area. So when I, so when I call staff for tech support at this time, I'm probably suspecting they have an outage in their area. And I'm, and I'm asking the question, do you have an outage in your area? If not, I'm reporting that you may have one. And they wanted to go through the whole thing of rebooting the router and rebooting the computers. And I said, um, mm-hmm. I've already done it. Like, well, no, no, it, you, know, you have to go through this. You have to reboot your router and restart your machine. I like, I've already done it. And I've actually looked up a resource that says that you may actually have an outage on your hands. I'm just trying to find out what's going on. They said, well, if you don't go through our process, I'll, we'll end this call. Like, okay, maybe I'll end my service too. Right, right. you
0: know, yes, yeah, so it's like this amazing uh, yeah, customer
1: yeah. service. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I imagine that senior salesperson who's probably set every record in the company being told they have to learn the basics of platinum rule again, which, you know, I mean, come on. I, you don't know that after right. your first year in business. Uh, you kid me. Uh, but, so, here's another thing you cover I think, Julianne, is very important. Um, you referred to enablement teams and audiences and with the time we have left i wanted to spend some time on this because i think these are very important so tell me what are enablement teams and audiences and why is it so critical that one understands the other and how all that works
0: yeah it's a great question so i see the enablement team you know it's interesting the word enablement i think is becoming more and more known it's primarily in the sales space they call it sales enablement which um I find I found fascinating because back early in my career, I was doing sales enablement, but I didn't realize it because we just didn't call it that. And then at one point, I I like raised my hand and I felt like I should know the answer. And I was like, "What's the difference between sales enablement and this readiness stuff we've been doing?" It was like uh-huh. nothing really. Ah, okay, got it. So. You know, I think it just has less of a bad rap, to be honest. And in fact, I think it has a better rap than um, learning and development functions. And it does cover, right. I would say, other areas than what we've traditionally seen in in learning and development. But you know, it's it's essentially the team that's there to help others be better at what they do or be successful in their role. Um, and that yeah. could be done in a lot of different ways. And I think that that's um, you know, not always known, like one of our customers right now, we're helping them to build, um, you know, a six or seven slide deck. And so most of what we're doing is rendering and graphic development. Um, I see that as enablement because it's going to enable him to go and have a, conver- you know, have a conversation with his clients um, that are at, at a very senior and high level. Um versus a lot of times people rotate it down to the training or the thing that you've created um, versus enabling somebody to go do something that's going to create success for them. So I think, so that's kind of that side of, of enablement in my mind. Um, And it can be a lot of different things. And I, I hate for us to pigeonhole ourselves into it's always a training because it's not always a training. Right. Um, And sometimes we have to start off with it not scaling until we can scale something because we have to figure out what it is first (laughs) and that's kind of an interesting concept right it's like we're creating this and it's for a a sales group that does very 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 large enterprise sales and then we're going to see we're going to start recording some pitches and see if it can work with other people but we don't know if it will or not um so that, that that's one thing and then the other so the audiences are really interesting to me, and I think that we don't always look at them maybe holistically, but I've found that some of our greatest success is when we think about who's our business audience. So we need to know our leaders and the people that are um, leading the function, leading the company. We need to understand their direction. We also need to understand the people that we're actually trying to help, you know, to be a myriad of roles. Um, could be across different sales roles. It could be across different marketing roles. It's the engineers, whatever, right? But you just you need to know that audience. You need to understand their day to day. We talk a lot about uh, empathy for those audiences. You know, have you ever gone out and you know, shoot, have you ever sold before? Have you ever tried to develop something as an engineer? You know, what is it? How do they go through their day to day, and what does that look like? And how can you put yourself right. in their shoes? Them, even though you don't do what they do, probably. Um, right. And then we also talk about customers, right? So who's the end customer of this person that you're trying to enable for the business that you're trying to support? And when you when you know all of those different angles, in my mind, it makes it so much easier to then support the people that you're trying to enable. Um, you know, I think what I've learned a lot in my career is that, And I've heard this a lot where it's like, well, we're not asking the people what they want. Well, what I've learned is that the people doing the role actually don't always know what they need. You know, it's a little bit like trying to self diagnose yourself, (laughs) really like the worst thing, but they know what they're expected to do. And that's kind of the space that they're working from. So if you take that and you take what the business expects from them and you take what customers are asking of them and kind of mix that together, you're going to come up with something that's probably going to be extremely helpful, and it's going to satisfy a bunch of your audience. Um, and it kind of gets into that stakeholder manage management view. But, you know, no, knowing your audience and being able to have empathy with your audience, I think, goes a huge, makes a huge difference in your success as somebody that's trying to enable them. Um, they'll have more respect yeah. for you. They'll want to hang out with you. They'll want to tell you what's going on. You know, they'll, they'll want to explain what it is that they're trying to do or the business is trying to do. Um, and that, in my mind, is when you start to really add value to people.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think so as well. Now, there's two other things, suggestions that you've made, and I'm going to go through these one at a time. The first is to let go perfection. Now, yeah. I think we're evolved enough to know, to understand that the Good is sometimes the enemy of perfection, but tell us from your perspective why we are got to let it go.
0: Well, I think it slows us down, um, you know, and I think that there are different reasons for it. And, it, and so it's interesting. It's in that book, and I'm reading Brené um, Brown's new book on Dare to Lead. And I would say, you know, striving for perfection, and this is probably something that, like I know that I've struggled with, is. Um, trying to have control over something that you don't actually have control over, right? Right. (laughs) And And I have found that trying to make something perfect and then giving it to somebody and then then getting feedback on it is like, you know, you you feel like you just got stomped on. And that's like the worst feeling ever, right? Because you're like, I did this amazing thing. And they're like, it's not amazing to me. (laughs) Everybody has a different definition of what it looks like. And so – you know, being more iterative and showing people stuff when it's not pretty um, or when you haven't invested lots and lots and lots and lots of time in trying to create the thing, uh, it's way easier to take feedback and iterate and change. And sometimes yeah. what somebody needs isn't this amazingly beautiful, you know, thing. They just need the first draft. Um, true and so you know so you, you got to gauge that and know where you're where you're at and what kind of quality you know standards that you're you're flying up against but um, letting go of kind of having to have something that's absolutely perfect is so freeing is what we found and yeah uh, and also being able to ask your colleagues and you know I do this and other people on the team do this quite a bit it's like I think I'm getting over-rotated on this thing, and I'm, like, trying to perfect something that is actually fine. Um, can you look at it with me and tell me what you think? And a lot of times we're like, yeah, it's. we coined the term Geffern. It's Geffern. It's good enough for right now. Like, keep moving. Otherwise, people are just wasting yeah. time. You know, and it's a little bit like um, agile development for technology. Like, is the V1 ever good from a technology company that produces uh-huh. something? I mean, it's good enough, right, where we're like, oh, like, hopefully people get the concept and they like it so that you can keep iterating on it. And that's essentially what we're trying to get at. You know, how can you get sure. something that's an enablement piece out that's good enough that people can start playing with it or doing something with it, and then you can refine it through time. But if you don't get it out, you're you're going to potentially miss the boat. And then it's not needed and it sits on a shelf. True, certainly. So
1: that's one thing is uh... – the importance of letting go of perfection. You also suggest that the enablement teams that we mentioned a few moments ago do something known as going slow to move fast. Could you elaborate on that one?
0: Yeah, this is kind of back, the, doing the backup that I talked about earlier, is gathering the context and the clarity um, for why you've been asked to do something uh, instead of just saying, oh, you need a thing on, you know, First-time managers, yeah, I can create you a first-time manager thing and and running off and starting to create that. So sometimes it it, it takes more time to ask the questions and understand what the need is so that you can really drive that outcome, right? Gets to the outcome piece. And also the clarity so that everybody's aligned on what it is that's going to be created. Um, A lot of times when you just take the order and try to go create the thing and provide it back, the feedback that you get is that's not what I asked for, and it's like, but you asked me for right. first-time management stuff. That's first-time management stuff. Oh well, what I really needed was—and then you hear the requirements, and and you just, you know, it's that face-palm moment. You're like, ah, oh. yeah, and I yeah, know that, that up front. I could have created higher. that. <laughs> yeah,
1: that. And uh, sometimes I just have to accept that, despite my best efforts. The client just doesn't know for sure what they want, so they have to see something so they know yeah. how to react to it, how to better articulate. So I allow for that. Now I to say sometimes up front, you know, uh, I'm not 100% sure, but let me put something together so at very least you can tell me why you don't like it, so you can tell, so you can tell by by implication what exactly you need. Let's just get started with this. Uh, yeah, now, there are
0: Yeah,
1: for, yep. There are cases for something. In front of a client and that uh, they'll say, no, I don't like that. Okay, so what, what needs to adapt here? What needs to get us from where we are now to the goals? And I have had folks say to me, well, um, really that's for you to figure out. You just need to keep giving me things until I, until you give me something that'll work. I to say, well, actually, I've got other clients right now that are ready to implement stuff that I give them. They just need me to do it. So if you're going to ask me to just throw pause at the wall, I'll stop by an the restaurant after I'm done with the other clients, and I'll throw the pasta yeah. at the wall for you. Okay?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that's, in, that's, in, that's in my mind, yeah, clear case of like they don't have clarity either. <laughs> right, so it's like we' got to back up and back up the conversation so that you can understand why it is that you've come to me to ask for this thing versus whatever this thing is that you think you is going to solve yep. this problem that you can't articulate to me.
1: And after I do that pattern interrupt of saying something to them that they probably have never had said to them before and wondering where I got the, the gumption and temerity to say it now that I have their attention, and we're thinking about pasta or spaghetti or something like that. Then I say, you know, I'm wondering you know, what else needs to be clarified in terms of what you're looking for, so that you can deliver a request that we can fulfill upon. Because if somebody just says, well, uh, I don't like it, you have to keep giving me something so I like it. That means they really, in most cases, don't even know what they're asking for. And they may be asking for it only because they read somewhere or some coach told them they should be asking for it. And it's like folks who start businesses and they move from the solopreneur to the leveraged entrepreneur. They hire a business coach or they join some coaching program and they say, okay, we got to get a virtual assistant, you got to get a copyright, you got to get a webmaster, we you got to get a social media person. And you go down this whole list of different categories of virtual type workers to have work for you and they'll go hire one of each. <laughs> like, okay. So now you have a virtual assistant. You have somebody to handle your scheduling. You have a proofreader. You have a copywriter. You have a webmaster. You have a social media person. You have somebody to do your your email autoresponders. Uh, you have somebody to manage your transactions. Wow, what are you doing with them all? <laughs> right. We get right. Now what? We have a bunch of virtual meetings. We all go around town. People about each other, Uh, I, I many years ago I was on a project like that, and I figured, okay, so, and it wasn't like that. They actually understood why they brought each of us onto the project, so they had a plan. And the first meeting we went around, we told everybody about ourselves, and that was great. And then the second meeting they wanted to do it again for the benefit of those who missed it the first time. I said, look, you want to get to know me, then stop hanging around and start doing business with me. And the person who recognized that as the guy from the movie Scarface won a, a big round smiley sticker face award from me.
0: Interesting. <laughs> but That's but that, but that, but that part
1: of it, too. Um, you know, I think that people have a better chance of getting to know each other in a business environment when they actually start doing business. I mean, we can have uh, 20 yeah. different networking, do type conversations, but uh, especially if we're on a team together or we're part of an integrated team brought from different departments or even different outside agencies all brought together for a project or initiative, we're going to find out so much about each other, how we work together, our different styles, the brilliance and passion each of us brings to the table, when we actually get our hands on something and start working.
0: Yeah. Yep. I mean, we see that time and time again, right? It's really when the doing starts that people start to actually learn. So how do we get them into doing faster um, so that they can start having their own, you know, because we, we don't learn by just somebody telling us that this thing is going to happen or we might, we might encounter this other thing. We learn by encountering that thing and having to navigate it and asking exactly. questions, you know, and doing the work. And that's what we focus Perfect. on a lot is doing what is the work that they're expected to do and how do we accelerate that doing.
1: Exactly. And I, and I, and I brought you here for a reason because that's a perfect place to jump off since we're near the top of the hour. So first of all, Julianne, I want to thank you so much for being with us here today. And if you could, for anybody who's in our audience who may be leaning in, uh, looking to discover more about radical outcomes or reading, <laughs> if you could tell us a uh, little more <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you serve business creators and what they can expect from you when they reach out to you or what you have for them or whatever you want to share with us in the next 60 seconds?
0: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on as well. You can find us at OxygenExp.com as our website. It'll tell you a lot more about what we do and how we service people. Um, We have three main areas that we work in. They're all listed there. You can find us also on Twitter under oxygenexp. Um, and myself, Jay Stan Campiano, and the book is available at pretty much any of the places people like to buy books.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That so I definitely encourage people to check out the Radical Welcome book. I'm going to snag me a copy myself. Actually, it's going to make some good reading. So, uh, Julianne Stan Campiano, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Adam. I, I appreciate being on. I hope that all the listeners have gotten something great out of it. Oh, well, I, I certainly have.
1: I'll try to say <laughs> that much.
0: Fair enough. All right, enough. so, everybody, <laughs>
1: hey. all right. Yeah. so everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing, so you thrive from your intersection of your
0: brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.